0: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas.
1: Thanks so much, Darlene. Well, what is left of the NBA offseason rolls along. And with that said, coming up on today's show, we will welcome in the one and only Dave Wall, not only a long time. NBA veteran, but a longtime coach in the league as well, as he will give us his outlook on what this wild and crazy NBA offseason has looked like. But before we get to all that, I have to welcome in my co host. His name is Otto Strong. And Otto, we didn't get the pleasure of talking to you last week, most notably because I think we were all exhausted about what took place last week. But you so had to work in a newsroom on election night doing all the things that go into putting out a paper on that kind of deadline. So I'll start off with this. Have you even slept over the course of the last week with everything that's gone on?
0: Uh, a little bit. Uh, so it was, I was in a virtual newsroom, which which in some respects is even worse because <laughs> these, these, these phones don't, my phone doesn't have an off button. You know what
1: I mean? <laughs> is, is that more exhausting than like, because for people who've never worked in journalism, like there is uh, There is a sense of adrenaline that comes with not only working on deadline, but working big events like that. You know, like if you're working like an NBA draft or an NFL draft or any just like normal game deadline, I can only imagine that is magnified when you're working an event like that, when you're trying to not only talk to sources, but you're also trying to talk to your reporters who might be in different areas.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and then what, what complicates matters is when the event that you're covering doesn't actually end.
1: <laughs> it, just, <laughs> you know? it just goes on <laughs> exactly. for days, man. Like, yeah. like, 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 I can tell you, I stayed up and watched election coverage all the way through Saturday when it yeah. was finally called, And I felt like I was exhausted, let yeah. alone having to be one of the guys who's not only like proofreading stories, but also making sure that the paper is well-constructed. So- yeah. A tip of the cap to you, my friend.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you, man. I feel I feel like John King and I are like you know buds, and I've got and I, and I I feel like I could do that practically, you know. I was like, gonna say, could you work gonna, the magic
1: wall the way he does? Because I, 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 he almost by the end of it didn't even have to look at where he was pointing to counties.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's it's kind of freakish how much that man knows about about counties and election stuff, but uh, but it's it was all good theater, and you know. Hey, we have
1: democracy, right? So. Absolutely. And you know what? For everyone who worked over the last week in some kind of capacity covering that election, everyone did a noble job. And I thought it was just tremendous across the board, whatever network it is that you watch. Uh, but we did get a little bit of maybe some clearance. We have an idea of what an NBA season is going to mm. look like. And so, Otto, I, I, I'm going to run through some key dates. So we, we knew after the last few weeks that the NBA draft would take place on November 18th. What we didn't know is when officially teams would be permitted to, one, start commensurating on trades. And, and trades are a big aspect of it because you could not make trades until you knew what a salary cap was, right? <laughs> like you, can't, you, can't play, you can't trade players without right. knowing how it might affect your cap. And right. so that was one thing we were waiting on. We were waiting to know what a cap number was going to be. That cap number is $109 million. The luxury tax number is 136 million. So, those are two big numbers to know. We also know that free agency will officially begin on November 20th. Trades can start to be consummated around the 15th or 16th. That's still a number that's a little bit hazy to me. But it feels like we have a pathway to an NBA season now. And training camp will start on December 1 with games. Igniting on December twenty second. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, but, I just throw a lot at you. <laughs> well, that's that's, <laughs> that's that's
0: that's a lot. So, so for me, you know, I, I think that the, the teams that are going to you know be hit the hardest, uh, you know, and I'm just I'm I'm kind of somewhat intentionally fast forwarding through the draft, through the free agency, and just to the start of the regular season. So, you've got you know obviously the Lakers and the Heat, which were mixing it up. Actually, a month ago, today, you know, it was yeah. October eleventh, and here we are, November eleventh, and you know, there it is. Um, But, you know, those two teams that played in the finals will have had 71 days from last game in the finals to the start of the regular season. If it were any other season, you know, average season, it would be double that. It would have basically 144 days, give or take a few. So, you know, what I'm concerned about is just how effective your two, you know, the the two teams that last played, your your finals clubs, the best two teams in the league, at least as far as 2020 was concerned, how they're going to respond out of the gate. Um, because obviously Golden State's going to be checking for them. Brooklyn's going to be checking for them. Even teams that didn't advance too far in the postseason are going to be you know, ready, ready to go. And so I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see how that's going to play out.
1: Yeah, and you know, the number that we forgot to say was it's going to be a 72-game season that they're going to want to try and wrap up during the summertime because the NBA does not want to have this floating schedule like they do. And you put it perfectly, like for the Lakers in the heat, Most notably, the guys I think about, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, you know, he's entering what is 18th season in the NBA after putting all those miles on him and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Orlando bubble. And then you have Jimmy Butler who just laid it all on the lines in those playoffs and then the bubble just to get them to where they were. It's a lot easier to recover physically and mentally when you're not going through the travel process. They're not going to have that this time around. And we're going to talk to Dave Wall about just some of the challenges that a lot of these NBA teams are going to face. But think about this. LeBron plays a game in L.A. on the 22nd. What if he has to turn around and then he has to play a back-to-back on a game in San Francisco the next night? You know, and then you play a game, you play four games in five nights with the NBA, has tried to kind of whittle down to once a season. I'm imagining there's going to be at least three or four instances where we're seeing back-to-backs on these schedules. Like, what does that do for older NBA players like LeBron? Well,
0: that, that look, that's going to be a huge question. And then there's the matter of COVID. Hey, I'm still here; I haven't gone away. So, like, those, those are some some monster questions. Which, as, as try as we might, we're not going to answer them now. So, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna to get to our our, our interview.
1: All right, it is my pleasure to welcome in a long-time NBA veteran. He not only played with the Sixers, the Blazers, the team in Buffalo, the Rockets, and the Nets. He's also a longtime coach in the league, and he is soon the host of his very own podcast here on Pure Hoops Media. That would be Dave's front office. It is the one and only Dave Wall, and Dave, we've had you on this program numerous times. So I have to tell you, first off, welcome back. Thanks for taking your time and joining us. Oh, I'm happy to join you guys tonight. It is always a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, the last time I think we spoke, it was during the NBA playoffs, which were taking place here in Orlando in the bubble, which feels like it was a month and a half ago because it was. And now it feels like we're going to have an NBA season in the midst of a middle of the December start. How? Okay, let's start like this from a coaching perspective. How? difficult of a challenge is this for NBA head coaches to not only get their teams ready to go, but to do this on an expedited schedule like they're dealing with?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great point because when you think about it, um, the thing that's the contrast for me is um, once the NBA shut down until they started again in July – it seemed like they spent a lot of time investigating the best way to do this, to set up their bubble. They talked with a lot of experts uh, in various fields. They, they mapped out a really concise way to do this, which really took into account how to keep the players safe, how to have uh, terrific play on the court, how to even bring in like the fake fans and the noise and everything. But this one, and, and again, from all all guesswork, it, it's based more on the money that they could lose if they wait. This seems like none of that has happened. You haven't heard how teams are gonna play. Now maybe internally they've sent around memos, but there's not gonna be the bubble of, of the the past because they know they can't do that for a full season. So they you hear some rumors of mini bubbles or a team will come into town and play a couple games there and then go. But when you start to dissect this, it, it provides you more questions than answers because you wonder, okay, so what are the schedules look like? Have they haven't, doesn't seem like they came out with schedules. So am I gonna fly into a town with my team and stay there for a couple of days? Then do I go, is there a couple other teams in that bubble that I play for a week? Then I go to another mini bubble and play a group of teams, but where have they come from? Who have they interacted with? If, if we're all in the town for a week, are the players allowed to leave their hotels? Are you going to tell the players, no, every time you go into a, on the road to a bubble, you guys can't leave the hotel. I, I don't know that that's going to work. So now if they go out and they go to a club or a bar or a restaurant or wherever, and they're meeting people, masks, no masks, and they come back and they start to test positive, how does that affect everything? So I, I'm more waiting to hear how they've planned, because I thought they did a great job with the bubble. Um, I'm waiting to hear some of the more concrete ways that this season is actually going to take place because they're starting camp in two and a half weeks.
1: Yeah. You know, December days one. or so. Yeah, December one. And then you look at it free agency, I think is two days after the draft on or November 20th.
2: Yeah, they said they're gonna start allowing trades, I think two days before the draft, then the draft, then two days later, free agency. So the next week and a half, two weeks, is just going to be crazy decisions and things. And I'm sure their teams have talked with each other already and with players. But from a coaching standpoint, how am I getting ready for training camp? You know, if I get a new guy in, what's he been doing all all in the offseason? Let's say he wasn't in the bubble. Has he been able to do any work at all? Or is he coming into camp really not in very good shape at all? um i think for a coach and it's much easier if you have a schedule in front of you you can map out um you know days off um do i want to fly after every game or is there one game where i go to new york or la wherever my team is and i stay over because it's a really nice city miami and i, I let my team stay over because we we don't play the next day so not having that i think it's really harder on coaches
0: dave excellent point um i, I work uh, at the Fort Worth Star Telegram, um, so my newspaper is surrounded by COVID cases. Texas is about to top um, you know, one million cases statewide, and that was a dynamic that we really we had COVID, but we really didn't have it in the numbers that we do now. And you raise an excellent point in that you know not only did we have the bubble and all the thought that went into it, guys were quarantined in their home city to, to some degree before they even went to Orlando, before they even played, and so now you're talking about bringing you know a, you know, a pod, which would be which would be. Good on one sense. the other sense, how often are, are, are guys traveling? And we just we just there' are a whole host of questions with regard to where cases are going to be, you know in, inside of inside of a couple of weeks. I hate to be the the Debbie downer here, but I I, I had said before, I think they should start off the, the next season, go going back going back to the bubble. I mean, I know it's for all kinds of reasons it may not work. But I think that a good four to six weeks, kind of see what you have, let the outside world kind of, you know, coronavirus, whatever is gonna happen there. But that's, that's what I was thinking. I don't know if you have any other thoughts.
2: At least you get the part of it where we're gonna play games. They know what the setup is there. Look, you're just throwing in eight more teams, um, you know, and, and they kind of know what that is, the players. And if you, you tell them it's short term, maybe it's a month. Okay, the first month we're gonna be down there maybe the vaccine is starting to come into play. Maybe um, you get a better sense of the schedule or the one thing that becomes really strange is let's say you look on your schedule and you're scheduled to just fly into without naming a specific city, a city that all of a sudden has this huge uptick in exposure. Uh, do you really wanna fly into that city? Or now are you gonna to have to make adjustments on the fly, cancel those games, move them somewhere else? So I I do like your idea of maybe they go in the bubble and if the players know it's not going to be for 90 days, you know, or 100 days or the whole season, maybe they're more amenable
1: to that because you can control it better and see what you have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the tough things that the NBA is going to have to figure out is, you know, we've seen it work in the NFL. They've had to kind of have an evolving and revolving schedule and just but they're playing one game a week. You know, the NBA is going to try and stretch 72 games over the course of what's it going to be five months in order to kind of keep this somewhat normal schedule. My main concern is you look at a league that's about ready to have a draft, right? I think November 18th is the day that they're going to pick their rookies. And then all of a sudden, they're going to thrust them into training camp on December 1. Traditionally, rookies in the NBA, I, I think have a very easy kind of process in order to get used to the routine that comes with the league. You know, you're drafted, you go into summer league, you have two and a half weeks of practices with coaches. They're not getting that. They're not getting that span to not only kind of learn to play with teammates, but to also learn about what it's like to be a professional. If you're a head coach and you're welcoming these rookies into the league, How do you make that a simpler process for them? Because not only are they kind of going into this situation that is very unprecedented, no one's ever been through anything like this, but now all of a sudden they're having to learn to play against some of the best players in the league where a lot of these college kids haven't played since the end of March.
2: No, I I think you've got to look at this situation. If you're a coach and realize that I may not get much out of my rookie in the beginning, because he's going to be going through all those adjustments and a lot of the rookies, even the ones that might be in the first 10 picks or so that are probably projected to end up being good players, you know, they're gonna work, they're, a lot of them are gonna come in with their sense of entitlement. You know, Most rookies who get drafted high have a sense of entitlement that, well, hey, you took me with the third pick, I'm gonna play 25, 30 minutes a game. And depending on, on the situation, if you're not ready to play you're probably not going to because you're gonna lose more games for them. So it's gonna be interesting how the rookies adjust and and physically, usually what, what benefits rookies too is you get drafted in June and now you're with a team end of June, July, August, September, you have three months with an NBA trainer and strength coach working on your body, balancing out a lot of the weaknesses in your body. And that really helps because most of the guys come in and they aren't physically Prepared to play against NBA players, and so they lose that three-month period. Now they have to adjust to not only the pace of the game, and it's such a different game because passing lanes close up quicker. Guys are more physical. You know, the referees don't know your name. They don't. You know, they don't give you any calls in the beginning. So there's so many of these adjustments. They're going to put you on better nutrition programs. You're going to be lifting every day. Um, I think it's going to be interesting which rookies. You know, show themselves capable of kind of you know pushing their way through all that and being able to be contributors to their team.
0: Do you think it's a case where rookies should just not expect to to see that much runtime simply because, as Aaron said, they haven't played in well over a year, year and a half almost, in in some cases, any meaningful competition. That coupled with they don't have that NBA body. You know it 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 definitely would put them in a in a um, kind of a hot in the eight ball,
2: yeah, for me, if I was a rookie coming in now and I can only go back to you know, I'm a lot older, the rookie camp I went through, I was very fortunate in that I played in a summer league. I had summer league, it was the Baker League in Philadelphia, and most of it was ex pros or current pros that were just coming in in the summer, like Earl Monroe played Wally Jones, guys who were established professional guys. so I learned by playing in that league the things that you could do or had to do or the things that you just got beat on that you had to figure out, you know, how to stop them. But if I was a rookie coming in now, the biggest thing I would come in from a mental standpoint was I'm going to learn and absorb everything I can. I'm going to talk to my veterans. I'm going to talk to the coaches. I'm going to watch a lot of film because film can point out little nuances for you. And I'm not going to worry about my playing time. If we have practice, I'm going to look at practices as my games. You know, I'm going to try and do all the things I'm supposed to do in a game in practice. And so it's more about gathering all the information than trying to put it into practice. Whatever my strength and conditioning coaches want me to do, I'm not going to fight it. You know, if they tell me to cut out pizza, I'm cutting out pizza. You know, whatever it is, I'm on a learning and listening curve if I'm a rookie because I think that's going to help them more than coming in with an attitude like, "Why am I not playing? How come I'm not getting any minutes?" And you know, complaining to their agent, who then calls the team and tries to find out, you know, "Why aren't you playing my guy?"
1: Uh, on the flip side, is there a chance that at least early in the season that we see coaches really take it slow with their veterans? I, I think of teams like the Lakers and the Heat and, you know, who are playing deep into the month of October. You know, that's what, 71 days from the time that they of the season to the start of training camp. You have players like LeBron who need time, who need to rest their body. Is there a chance that coaches maybe ease some of their veteran players back in at least the first quarter, maybe the first half of the campaign? Yeah, I would
2: think that the coaches, uh, the performance guys, the the sports scientists groups on their teams, the trainers, are all going to have those conversations with their key players. Like, how are you feeling? What's your body like? They're going to have baseline measurements on probably a lot of things from the beginning of camp last year and the end of the season. They'll be able to look at and and that may guide them on how many minutes they're going to play. Do they rest more games early? Um, Which games should they rest? And again, it's going to depend, I think, on the, on the circumstances of how everything is set up, which they don't seem to have set in concrete yet. At least in the bubble, you had a sense of what was going on. So are you playing more back-to-backs? Are you playing some three and four nights? Are you doing a lot of these things? So I think they're going to gather as much information, talk to the player a lot, get a feel for him. Hey, is he just mentally tired too? Do we need to do some things that eases that. And each coach, depending on his team situation with his players, I think will try and make a, you know, an informed decision with the player.
0: Dave, well, obviously there's a lot we don't know that the type of schedule, as you mentioned, back to backs and how all that shakes out. But what what type of player or which players do you think may benefit the most from this from this um, season that we're going to have?
2: Um, I probably think uh, I, I always like the, the mentally tough and disciplined player, because the vast majority of NBA players, the, the difference in talent is not huge. I mean, yes, LeBron and maybe the, the last guy in the league. It's a huge gap. But as you get into the, the middle groups and the, and the good players, it's not so much the talent is extremely different but the mental toughness to maybe follow the security protocols, the safety protocols, uh, the discipline of uh, other things you have to do to get ready, or, hey, you've got to sit out a game or two because you're just, your baselines, uh, we're not back to your baseline yet. Mm -hmm. So I think those type of players can really benefit uh, a little more because they're going to be very secure in how they go about their Their job every day, what's required. They're not going to be, you know, have a lot of uh, distractions going on. They're going to try and figure out how they deal with family, how they deal with friends, how they're going to deal with people that want to come up to them on the road or if they're in different hotels.
1: Um, I think those players have an edge. Dave, how, how difficult is the free agency period that these front offices and coaches are about to embark on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one, just, this one should be the craziest, There, I was going to say, just from the standpoint of putting together a roster and then a week later, having everyone together. Yeah.
2: And, you know, you, they just found out recently when the free agency period was going to start. You know, usually you knew during the season, okay, the draft is going to be a, a week or two before the end of June. The free agency was going to be a week after that. So you could be planning months before that, but now you're planning and all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, November 20th, you're starting free agency. Boom, go. And and I wouldn't be surprised that there's been tons of conversations going on already um, behind the scenes. And, and maybe the NBA is going to not look at that as closely as they have in the past. But I think it's it's going to be hard, because you're going to have to make quick decisions if you want your guy in by ca- the time of camp. You're going to have to try and figure out, OK, does how much does this guy really improve us? Is this a guy that I want to lock up long term? Do I have to spend most of my cap room or do I have to make a trade? So all those things are thrown together in this one kind of crazy week and a half period before camp starts. So teams that don't have free agency done by the start of camp now are still working on a roster situation, you know, going into camp and how long does that take them to finally firm up their entire roster? So there'll be a lot of you know, inconsistency, I think, on on some teams until they can get all those decisions made.
0: Dave, which coaches do you think, or teams or systems, take it however you want to, uh, would have an edge going into, going into next season?
2: Well, I, I think, obviously, the, the veteran teams that are, that believe they're championship contenders, let's take the top five or six teams, they probably come in with, if they do resign all their free agents and, and expect to bring back mostly the same team, um, they probably know what they're doing. Um, they'll know their coach, they'll know the offense and defensive schemes, they'll know their, their routines and, and everything. So they probably have a good example of being able to come in and get off to a decent start. The younger teams, the teams that were out of the playoffs and are still in rebuilding stages, that might be, those might be teams that struggle more because now you're adding probably another young player. If you look at, I think the first 10 or 12 draft picks are all teams that didn't do well. You know, so those picks are probably, unless they get traded, going to go to teams that are, you know, either whether you want to call them underachievers or just they're rebuilding. Those teams could be wildly fluctuating between, you know, a couple of good games and then five game losing streak, because they're still trying to figure out each other. They haven't played together as much, so they don't have that consistency. And you're still trying to figure out which guys are your top guys and, and where they, where everybody fits in.
1: Dave, I, I have to ask you this because I, and Otto can attest to this, Scott, our producer can attest to this. I have this weird affinity with the Philadelphia 76ers. I, I don't know why I can't explain it. I keep expecting more out of them than what they give us, but this is a team that for the most part has kept a lot of continuity with their roster this off season, but they've changed everything around it. Head coach, front office, How much can a move, like a head coach bringing in someone like Doc Rivers and then flipping over a front office, how much can that do to reset the mindset of a roster and how much can it maybe help this team? Um, I think
2: Doc was a great choice for them. And I'll tell you why. If you look at Doc's past, and I was with him in Orlando, Boston, and the Clippers, you know, we went into Orlando tearing the roster apart and Doc got a bunch of no-name guys who were predicted to be the 28th team in the 30 team league at the beginning of the season. And we ended up 41 and 41 and missed the playoffs on the last shot of the last game of the season, it bounced out. If it goes in, we're in the playoffs. And he did it by just giving everybody so much confidence and building a team culture with those guys. Now he gets to Boston and all of a sudden he gets KG, Ray, Paul, and none of those guys had won a title really and he gets them to form this trio of leadership, sacrifice for everybody. And even when he got to the Clippers, he took DeAndre, you know, uh, Paul and Blake were, were excellent players. He talked DeAndre into becoming a great defensive player, made him like the third spoke in the wheel. And I think Doc's challenge now will be, okay, what do I do with Joel Embiid? And what do I do with Ben? How do I get them to fit in with maybe a a newer style of play to utilize their talents in a different framework. And I think he's gonna get great support from the front office. I know Daryl and Doc were together in Boston for a little bit before Daryl took the Houston job. And and Daryl loves Doc, he's a big Doc fan. So I think with Elton and and Daryl in the front office, Doc's gonna get a lot of support. And this is the team that I'm really looking to see how they do because one of the things is, I think they won 12 games on the road I mean, they were one of the worst road teams in the league, and I don't, I don't understand that. And I think Doc may be able to to help that. You know, Daryl will bring some of the analytical things in from lineups to other things, and um, so th- this team to me is going to be the the fun team to watch to see what the, the the new leadership can can be able to do.
0: You mentioned the Celtics, and it would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you this next question. So, for our readers or our listeners, rather. Uh, I'm a newspaper editor, so occasionally I slip. But, but for our listeners, I got to ask you this: uh, Tommy Heinsohn, you know, oh. long, long time long self the great, uh, died today, Tuesday, eighty-six. People who will hear this will hear it on Wednesday. But I just wanted, you know, ask you. We want to both ask you a couple of questions, and and but first to to get any thoughts that you had on on Tommy. Yeah, person.
2: I I was in Boston for five years, and Tommy obviously was the color man on the broadcast, and. I, I had a lot of occasions to sit with him in the press room before games. We would sit and talk and uh, on the road, he would, he would come during the first couple of years, cut back a little bit at times, but he would, he would tell me stories that were just, what came out of the stories, and I'll tell you a story in just a second, but what came out of Tommy's stories was, and it has to do with sort of that Celtic mystique, was how much he loved his teammates how much he enjoyed playing for them with the Celtics. Um, every story, whether he was the butt of the joke or he was, he was making a teammate the butt of the joke, it was with just this reverence of, gosh, it was so much fun to, to play with this guy and be a teammate of his. And, and, and one of the stories he told me was when Bill Russell was the um, player coach for the team. I forget what year it was. And the players all decided they were gonna play a trick on Russell. They were gonna hide Bill's sneakers so he couldn't practice right away. You know, so maybe he'd, he'd call practice off or something. So Russell comes and he's looking for his sneakers and all the players are kind of out on the floor, warming up, kind of looking sideways and smirking a little bit. And Russell's looking all over the place for his sneakers, can't find his sneakers. So Russell goes over and sits down in a chair on the sideline on the court and he grabs a newspaper and he starts to read. And the players are all kind of looking at him and he goes, oh, you know, I can't find my sneakers today so I can't run but you guys can run and he said just so start running and Tommy told us and he's laughing he's just cracking up he was just he was just such a bright person not just about basketball but he was an artist as some people know he used to tell me how he used to paint on the road uh, just a great guy to have conversations with but what always came out was that love of the Celtics the love of his teammates and and uh, he's going to be missed because he was great and everybody knows he was a homer You know, and he would laugh at it. He he. It was fun listening to his broadcast because sometimes you just sit back in your chair, and you would just crack up listening to some of the things you know that he a ref wouldn't call a foul, and he was all over the ref for not calling the foul for the Celtic guy. But he'll be missed,
0: Dave. I I really appreciate you sharing that story, those stories with us. Um, I I I can say that I I met Tommy once uh, at one of the draft, one of the draft. uh, um, uh, productions uh, several years ago when I was at ESPN, and and I you know could tell just for talking for a few minutes that he was a you know really class act. But um, thanks for for uh, for sharing the time, Dave. Uh, again, once again, Dave's front office will be the show that will be appearing soon uh, within Pure Hoops Media. Thanks again for joining.
1: Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure to be with you.
0: That was dope. <laughs>
1: Special thanks for Dave Wall for taking the time and joining us tonight. You know, we recorded this show at about 9.30 on a Tuesday. For Dave, it's just dinner time. So he's going to go, he's going to have a nice meal. But I thought he left us with a lot of chicken on the bone, Otto, as we kind of get set for this NBA season. Did you take anything specifically away from maybe some of the challenges that he thinks a lot of these coaches are going to deal with as they try and expedite and ramp up this season?
0: Uh, like, there was, a, there was a lot to, to, you know, to unpack there with, with regard to that. But I, I gotta be honest with you, the, the last, the last part, that story about Bill Russell and, and, and his, and his sneakers being hidden and then just reading the paper, making everybody else run. I mean, that made my night that, that, that to me was gold. Uh, yeah, but he, um,
1: he, You know, um, it was awesome how you said you got to meet Tommy Heinsohn one time. And I completely forgot to say that, you know, when I was a producer working for the magic, one of my big gets was every year usually around the all-star break because at that point we were just looking for content. We had a week week and a half, you know, during my time, I think we had one all-star that had participated in the dunk contest and that was Oladipo and Aaron Gordon had done it a time or two, but we hadn't had an actual all-star until Nick Vucevic my last year there. But so we would have this week, which we would call NBA legends week, which we would just try and get, you know, a lot of the hall of famers that maybe were in and around the game who just weren't doing anything that week. And I remember the NBA has this blue book. You know, and uh, our chief content officer, Bruce Bernstein, talks about it all the time. It is basically like heaven in a book, right? Like you go through there and you can get anyone and everyone's name. And the Hall of Fame is so helpful in getting a lot of people. And so I I called the Hall of Fame and I was like, hey, you know, the main host of our show is from Boston, grew up a big Celtics fan. Is there any way that we could get Tommy Heinsohn? And they said, absolutely. And they connected me right to Tommy Hineson. I remember running into the office. So I said, We got him. We got him. We got to go at this time. And, you know, he spent about 45 minutes on the phone with us just, you know, talking about his career in the NBA, talking about Celtic stories. And, you know, it, it just goes to show everything that you and Dave were saying about the type of person that he was and the character that he had. And, you know, that was someone for me who's four years ago kind of just learning the ins and outs of the league to get him and to hear from him was, was tremendous
0: a special guy and definitely will be, uh, will be missed. I mean, yeah, but we, I, I know there are probably, you know, several more stories where we could probably, you know, uh, yeah, talk about, but, uh, yeah, no, just a, a special guy and the, uh, for, for a special team as our producer would say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everybody, that's it for this edition of Catching Shoot 2.0. I want to thank our producer, our man in the chair, Scott Turkin, as well as our, Uh, content officer, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Tom Phillips.
1: It's weird to think, Otto, this might be one of our last off-season episodes of Catch and Shoot, because by this time next week, we'll be talking draft, we'll be talking free agency, we got a lot to talk about. And we have a lot of content coming your way each and every week here on Pure Hoops Media, and if you did not catch any of our shows that have already aired this week, well, here's what's coming up. Mike Weiss, welcome to the One and Only, Bruce Bernstein. They talked about not only a wild week that was in American politics, but also in sports culture. Tuesdays is the full court press with John Fanta and Jenny Fisher. They're on Jeff Borzello from ESPN.com as they get set to preview the college basketball season. You guys know Wednesday is where you get your NBA news and nuggets with Otto and I right here on catch and shoot 2.0. And I want to make sure you guys catch out this episode of buckets, boards and blocks. Not only is King McClure riding with our one and only Bruce Bernstein, but they're welcoming on former Tar Heel, Justin Jackson, you know, who won an NBA championship with North Carolina who, you know, North Carolina is not one of my favorite schools because they stole Roy Williams away from Kansas, but that's a story for another day. That is a tremendous interview, and we always wrap things up with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman, and you guys know the story. You know the pitch. If you guys love our content and if you love what we're doing here, all that we ask is that you rate and review our shows on Apple, and if you're on Spotify, if you're on Google Podcasts, share them with your friends, let them know the great work, the great interviews that we bring you guys each and every week.
0: A lot of good content coming up on Pure Hoops Media, so we want to make sure that you are still around to hear it. So as COVID numbers continue to climb, I want you guys to do three things. Wear a mask, wear a mask, and wear a mask. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.